and greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad and Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for joining us this blessed Kadosh Holy Sabbath. Shabbat Shalom to you guys in the chat. Lovely to have you. Keep it coming. We love all the conversations and the community that you are building in there. Keep it kosher. Keep it clean. Stewardship is key, of course. And again, thank you all of you that do support this ministry through your donations, your tithes, and your offerings. It truly is a blessing to be able to reach out to all of you out there today. Twelve tribes coming in from the crazy exile. So today we are in Revelation chapter 6, part D. And again, remember, we are coming up to the feastal season of Passover. You can still register. Go to TorahToTheTribes.com forward slash connect. Passover, April 2nd till April 5th. Now, some of you out there have asked me, well, what about traveling? What are we going to do with this COVID-19? Of course, they rename it to try and shuffle the deck a little bit, but we're still tracking. What do we do? Should we travel? What about airplanes? What about state to state? Are they going to shut things down? Well, greater is he who is in us than who is in the world. So I say, let the faith of the saints go forth in strength and power. And on that note... We actually have a Melchizedek infiltrator inside giving me reports this very Sabbath straight from that cruise ship that's circling in international waters was supposed to dock, I believe, in San Francisco. It is the, what is it, the Grand Princess. I was just contacted by one of our sisters who is in isolation on board that ship today, giving me all the inside scoop. Providence is at work in this sister's life. I mean, she went prepared onto this cruise with face masks, with collodial silver, with the whole gamut of everything that you would need. And her husband apparently thought that she was bananas doing it, but now it's turned out that she knew what she was doing and is now inside, can give us first-hand reports of what actually goes on inside a quarantine ship. So again, they're circling in international waters right now. The United States doesn't know where to put them. When they do eventually come to land, it looks so far that it's going to be within a military quarantine center. But I'm going to keep you posted because we've got a Malkizedic insider in the very ship giving us the real news, and I will relay that to you today or as things open up more during the next several days and weeks. So anyway, all that to say this. Come to the feast, bring your masks, and don't worry, because I tell you what, the reports from this sister is that to be in the very midst of one of the greatest epidemics since the 600s, and to see it from a first-hand eye, bird's-eye view, and have the presence of Yahuwah, and know providence, Yahuwah's providence is with her, is powerful, is very powerful. 
because what do you have to fear? So whatever happens, he is with us and he ordains our very footsteps, say the psalmists. So she's encouraged, I'm encouraged, and now I get to get the scoop and relay it to you as it comes in live. So we can get rid of all the clutter, all the nonsense, and find out really what happens inside a quarantine ship. Right now, I just signed on to a cruise um, uh, app because I'm getting all the discounts coming in because my part of my bucket list is I would love to go visit my mother in England on the Queen Mary 2 liner. Always wanted to do that. Right now, it's heavily discounted. So, you know, I'm just... I'm just looking for that perfect cruise opportunity to go visit mum in the United Kingdom, New York to Southampton. Here comes Torah to the tribes. Anyway, I'm not afraid. I'm invigorated. Let's get into Revelation chapter 6, and we will look at part B. Now, if I was going to actually entitle this week's teaching, which sometimes I like to do, I would call it The Patriarch's Ponies. The Patriarch's Ponies. And we're going to cover the first two seals today. I mean, this is a chapter that men have wrestled with for over 2,000 years. So excuse me if we go into part D, E, and possibly F, because it really is power-packed. People have had tremendous questions, wrestled with this over the years, and um, it's been something, again, that I think we need to spend that time on. So, the patriarch's ponies. Now, last week I said, you know, I don't actually think we're going to see Yahusha literally riding out here in the first seal, any more than I, I think that we're going to see Xi Jinping riding out in the red horse in this second seal here. Why? Because Zechariah chapter 6 informs us that these apocalyptic equestrians are spirits. They're ruachim. They're spirits. The first seal is a spiritual invite with a physical reality attached to it. Just as the other seals are spiritual judgments with a physical catastrophe attached to them. Right now I'm going to take a little pause because I do believe we may be having some audio issues. I'm having a lot of breakup. Are you getting that too? So keep it up in the chat. Let us know in the chat if you're getting that audio. Sounding better now, but I was having a lot of break up there. It was very distracting. Are we good? Kind of move around. They want me to, want me to move and shake. All right, see those moves? I'm ready. I'm ready for whatever happens. You have to be in this crazy world. Don't people coming up behind you? Or oh, you want me to adjust this? All right, all right. Maybe it's all this nice growth happening, all those little hairs, because, because they're conductors, right? That's, yes, there's a lot of you in the chat. We'll talk about all the conductors that come off the facial hair. Antennae, or antenna, right? Now that's better, isn't it? 
It was the beard. It was the, it's going to be the first thing to go with this COVID-19, really. I mean, I want to get a good seal, will I? Right? So anyway, all right, now I have good audio. Let us back up just a little bit. If I was to say anything, I would say that this title would be called The Patriarch's Ponies. Now, some of you out there and some in the chat, not that many of you, but some of you have had real issue with me teaching that the first seal is the lamb riding forward out, I should say, better with an invitation to the marriage supper of the lamb. That's a mind bomb for some people. Some people are already like, I've always thought that, but never really felt comfortable expressing it. Thank you for having the courage, Torah to the tribes, to express that and we really appreciate it. Now, a lot of the pushback, and it's not really pushback because we're all learning together, has been that traditionally from a Greco-Roman mindset, it's the Antichrist. For sure and for certain, we were all taught that, I think, predominantly in the church. My purpose and the purpose of this ministry, when we do teach and read the Bible and do these teachings, is to in all earnestness, to connect it back to the Torah and then thread everything through the writings and the prophets and see it fully revealed in the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament. That's what I want to do today because I do not believe that John, the revelator, just came up with this idea of the four horses. I do believe, like I shared last week, that we are going to be able to connect them back to the patriarchs. Because really, brethren, the four horsemen are about humanity in a crisis. Humanity in a crisis. I believe I did a thorough enough job last week in connecting the first horse back to Messiah ben Joseph, back to Joseph and the bow, the bow of Joseph, and Genesis, Bereshit chapter 49 specifically. What I want to look at today is the migration patterns of the patriarchs looking at the migration patterns of these apocalyptic equestrians. Now, when I do go back to England and visit my mum, something that I do love to do is go to the racetrack. It's very big in England. Of course, you've got Royal Ascot. But growing up, I like to go and see the ponies ride. I like to go to the racetrack, and I have been known to make a wager here or there on the horses. But when you get to that final furlong, Everybody is jacked up. The whole crowd is on the edge of their seats because the horses are coming into the final furlong. Prophetically, I feel that way right now. I feel that we are coming in. The horses are galloping into the final furlong and humanity, whether they know it or not, they are expressing this in crisis economically, politically, the divisions from mankind. But we all come from who? Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Because it is Noah after the flood and humanity now 
expanding into the nations. This is what I want to focus on. Ham, Shem, and Japheth, the patriarchs, ponies today. Turn with me. Our source text, of course, is going to be Zechariah chapter 6 and Revelation chapter 6. And we're going to tie this in with Bereshit, Genesis chapter 10. And the whole purpose today is to try and reassure some of you out there that have still having a hard time comprehending, understanding, or even trusting the message coming out here that the first rider is represented by Messiah ben Joseph, Yahusha, the blessed lamb that rides out with an invitation to the marriage supper of the lamb. How my son is staring at me. Moshe, how are we doing with the sound? We're not sure? I'm still hearing a little bit of something. Can we maybe have Doug put the headphones on and give us some analysis and reassurance here? You guys in the chat, let us know. Maybe, Larry, you can boot up the chat. I don't know if you can do that from there. And um, we'll, um, we'll let me know how the sound goes. So I'll keep trucking along and uh, bear with me. It could be because there's some major magnetic energy coming in through these hairy antennae. That's what I'm going to stick with. Okay, Genesis chapter 10, verse 1, Revelation chapter 6, and Zechariah chapter 6. And we'll dive in into Zechariah chapter 6, verse 4. And I answered and I said to the Malak, the angel who talked with me, What are these, my master? Are these a bunch of Greco-Roman horses, my master? And the that, oh, That's not in the text. And the angel answered and said to me, These are the four spirits of the heavens who go forth from standing before Yahuwah of all the earth. So these apocalyptic equestrians, this is a spiritual reality that is going to be manifest in our physical realm. So we are not literally going to see Yahusha on a white horse here in Revelation 16. That doesn't happen till Revelation chapter 19, just to reassure some of you out there. This is a spiritual invitation. These are the four ruachim, the four spirits. And where do they come from, brethren? Where do we see this first horse, this spiritual horse, which is a spiritual invite to a spiritual people who have the eyes to see that they know that Moshiach ben Yosef, Messiah, son of Joseph, is giving an invitation to the house of Joseph in exile, those that are awakened by the Spirit of Yahweh to come inside the place of safety, the marriage supper of the Lamb, so then when the next subsequent seal rides forth, they will not be caught between death and a hard place. These are the four Ruachim riding from the Shamaim, the heavens. Genesis chapter 10, verse 1. The patriarch's ponies. We're good? Okay, I need some... What's that? Everybody says it's good. It's just got to be the magnetic antennae of revelation that are coming off of the beard. Now, we're still not sure out there if we like Matthew with a beard or if we like Matthew clean-shaven. I'm getting mixed messages. Um, so give us some thumbs up or give us a number one if we like Matthew with a beard. 
this is, I know, just a little bit of tomfoolery, but, you know, we're going to get deep into heaviness, so I thought I'd give us a little bit of light in flight before we go there. Or if you prefer, Matthew, clean-shaven and nice and shiny with oil of Olay, then give us a number two. Okay, let's see where we're going. Genesis chapter 10, verse 1. I want to look at the migration routes of the patriarch's ponies because I believe this is truly our biblical foundation of the apocalyptic equestrians. I don't think we need to go into Greco-Roman thought. I don't think we need to go back to the past thousand years of church history because I think we're going to end up in Rome. But we're going to end up there the wrong way. By looking at the patriarch's ponies, we will end up scattered into the nations. We will find the true origin of these horses. Genesis chapter 10, verse 1. Now these are the generations of the sons of Noah. Shem, Ham, Japheth, the sons that were born to them after the flood. Humanity in crisis. We're going to find the traits that, whether you like it or not, we are all interconnected. And we were just talking about that. The interconnectedness of humanity. But the different tribal segments of humanity have character traits that we will see defined in these horses that causes them to divide and subdivide and eventually war and wage against one another. There are saints out there. There are infidels out there. There are humanists out there. And mankind is now so divided, but it comes from this origin, and you're going to see it revealed through the patriarch's ponies. We're going to look at Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The Shemites, they settled in the Middle East, and from them, of course, came the 12 tribes, and a subsequent Judahite and Ephraimite migration. But within the Shemites, we have to acknowledge that there is an Ishmaelite and Edomite arm attached to it. So you're going to have, within the Shemetics, the Shemite, you're going to have representatives both of Jacob and Esau. Are you not? You are. You're going to see that represented. Now, within Judah, Judah, Yehuda, encompasses a great variety of types from fairer-skinned to dark reddish-brown. Um, a, a case in point example would be the dark reddish-brown would be the Berbers or the Palestinians. Then you have to the black which, of course, we see with the regal Negro who fled out of the land of Judah in 70 of the Common Era and settled 
and we've done a teaching on this in the past, in the kingdom of Judah in Negroland. And you can see that on the ancient maps that were mapping in around the 1740s. I think um, you'll see uh, that, maybe in 1747, I believe, from the top of my head. So within this Shemitic realm, you're going to have the compound unity of the Shemites, but you're going to see representatives of Ephraim, Judah, but also you're going to see that Ishmaelite and Edomite arm attached, which is always going to be not of faith, which is going to, of course, bring forth your Esau's, your Edomites, whereas of faith is going to bring forth your Isaacs, your Jacobs, and your Shemites. But this is complex because within the Shemitic, we've got the greatest what? Cover-up and identity theft between the true house of Judah, which I personally believe is the regal Negro, and, of course, the lightest reddish skin, the lighter skin, the Berbers, and what today they call the Palestinians. Now, then we're going to have to deal with those that conspired to steal the identity, which is, again, going to be Japhethite and their migration routes. So bear with me as I unpack this. And again, we may put a link up after this teaching on the migration of Judah. If you haven't seen that, that's a very important teaching on these tribal traits. And, you know, uh, somebody I would recommend on the tribal traits and the migrations would be Stephen Collins. Does a great job, way better than I do, on the migration routes of the tribes. Now, Ephraimite, when we get to the Ephraimites, we're going to look at the nations of the Indo-Europeans and the Americas. Then we're going to get, of course, to the Hamites. And the Hamites are the early culture bearers in Africa. And now, of course, we get to the Japhethites. The Japhethites, of course, Ashkenaz was a descendant of Japheth, the Ashkenaz, where, of course, we get the Ashkenazi. So that's non-Shemitic. And there's the deception. This is identity theft. This has been revealed in these last days. The Japhethites, they migrated to the Caucasus region of the Russian steppes, the Ashkenazi tribal usurpers. This is the Caucasus Asians or the Caucasians. The Caucasus Asians, which were Turkic Mongols that, of course, converted to Judaism from Khazaria in the 6th century. They were being hard-pressed on the eastern flank by the green horse, and they were being hard-pressed on the western flank by the Edomites, Papal Rome, and so therefore they converted to Judaism. And of course, this is now where you get the Judaism and the Ashkenazi. Of course, Ashkenaz being a descendant of Japheth. Look at Zechariah chapter 6, verse 1. And I turned and lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, four chariots were coming from between two mountains. So 
we're looking at the patriarch's ponies, but the two mountains, I believe, in the migration history of these tribes, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, you now get to the two mountains, which is Greco-Roman democracy and the Ottoman Empire. This is now a division between East and West, these two mountains which have, of course, structured our very society today. You have a division between the Ottoman Empire and the democracy that was now exported to the Ephraimite nations. Ephraimite nations meaning, meaning the United Kingdom, which is mainly Manasseh, and the United States, mainly Joseph Ephraim, okay? And Stephen Collins follows that in much more detail. So these four chariots are coming between the two mountains of Greco-Roman democracy and the Ottoman Empire. And the mountains were mountains of bronze. What does that mean? Meaning they are going to be extremely polarizing in their judgments extremely polarizing in their judgments. Bronze, of course, representing judgment because they're going to have two contrasting and conflicting scales of law and judgment. One is going to be Sharia and one is going to be democracy. Now, these will not mix. They will clash and clang and bang against one another, which will then ferment up a storm of turbulence, humanity in crisis. Verse 2. The red horses were in the first chariot, and in the second chariot, black horses, and in the third chariot, white horses. So here we have all four colors of our Revelation chapter 6 apocalyptic equestrians. And in the fourth chariot, horses with dappled strong collars. And verse 4, And I answered and said to the Malak, the angel who talked with me, What are these, my master? And the angel answered and said to me, These are the four spirits. This is a spiritual thing. These are the four spirits of the heavens who go forth from standing before Yahuwah of all the earth. Now look at verse 6. The black horses in it go forth into the north country. This is the northern lands, the north country. Now, I believe that the black horse represents Judah because Judah was first to establish itself with rule of law in the north country. Meaning, as Judah was dispersed and exiled was the first to establish rule of law in that north country. And now we find the white go forth after them. You see, the white, representing of the tribes of Joseph, which is both Ephraim and Manasseh, they then went after the exile. They shortly went forth out into the United Kingdom, Manasseh, and to the Americas, Ephraim. They went out after them with a very similar rule of law based upon a Greco-Roman exportation of democracy. And then we go on and we find out that the white, they went forth after them 
This is the Joseph tribes that followed suit. And the dappled, the dappled go forth to a south country. I believe what this is, is Islam goes south of Israel. Because Israel is the center here, going north from it into Europe, the Caucasus, the United Kingdom, the Americas. But south, what do we have south of Israel? We've got Mount Seir. Mount Seir, which of course is where today you find in that region, Saudi Arabia, Mecca, and Medina, south into the Arabian Peninsula and northern Africa. And verse 7, And the bay, or the red-colored ones, went forth and sought to go, so to walk to and throw through the earth. So if the black represents Judah, but remember, Judah is complex, because within Judah is identity theft. So there is the true Judahite, then there's the counterfeit Judahite. The true Judahite and the counterfeit. So you have to be, you have to bear with me, because within the Judahite, you've got a connection through counterfeiting to Japheth. It's the counterfeit. Through Joseph, the white horse, you've also got Ephraim and Manasseh, North Country. You've got two mountains, democracy and the Ottoman Empire. The green horse representing Ishmael or Islam, the Mohammedan. The red horse, red, ruddy, ruddiness. And the red color ones went forth and sought to go, so to walk to and fro through the earth. Who is the ruddy man of Scripture? The red man of Scripture, of course, none other than Esau. What is red? That is Dharm. That is Dharm. That is blood. That's a man of the earth. This is humanity in its carnality. This is secular humanism. This is where majority rule is. This is the secular man. This is the man in touch with his flesh, the ruddy man that has no desire for birthright. He has no desire for prophecy. He has no desire for blessing and heritage. He is looking for life now. What is in front of him is instantaneous. This is the secular man. This is the ruddy man. This is the apostate man. This is the man of carnality attached to himself. This is, of course, the earth humanism, humanism, excuse me, and it spreads the easiest. It spreads the easiest. We see it goes forth, it walks to and fro all over the earth. We live in a secular time because this ruddy horse has migrated all over the world. And he said, go, walk to and fro throughout the earth. So they walked to and fro through the earth. And he cried to me and he spoke to me saying, Behold, these who go toward the north country have caused my spirit to rest in the north country. So, Yahweh's spirit, his called out assembly, initially went forth 
and established rule of law in the North Country, the Christian nation. Okay? And from that, we then have the Ephraimite, the Joseph tribes, and of course, the true Shemetic Judahite tribes that were, through slave ships, taken out into the North Country too from the kingdom of Judah. So this is truly now unpacking it. Let me back up a little bit and just solidify a couple of thoughts for you because I want to make sure that everybody's tracking with me. So the white horse is representative of Yahusha ben Yosef. We established that, I believe, through Genesis chapter 49. Yahusha, the Moshiach, the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. Spiritually, it's a spiritual thing. These are spirits. It's a spiritual invitation written out with an invitation. The lamb rides out with the first seal, with an invitation to the wedding feast of the lamb. Ben Joseph and born again Joseph in exile. This is the Malkitzedic priesthood invitation. All tribes, all colors, all tongues. This is the faithful remnant. The black horse. This is now goes forth to the north country. And within the black horse, there's a counterfeit. If you look at Revelation chapter 6, verse 6, the black horse is where we find commodities, balancing, weights, and measures. Because the black horse is about balances, scales, and trading, and trafficking. Who is the one, Ezekiel chapter 28, who loves to traffic? Satan is a trafficker, a trafficker. Okay, so those of you out there that get traffic infractions, it's because we know who runs the trafficking system, okay? Of course, this is a cult in its origin. So what we're looking at now is the black horse is represented by scales and trade and balances. This represents a corrupt scale, a corrupt measuring of monetary policy based upon usury. And this, of course, was exported by the counterfeiters. Okay? Not the true Judahites, but those that are the identity thefts. Those are the ones that own the monetary system, the banking, and, of course, the International Monetary Fund. And this, of course, is the Japhethi origin of course, Japheth's descendants was Ashkenaz that then pretend that they are the black horse, but they're actually those that go forth and disrupt the scales and balances of monetary policy and destabilize that last furlong of the horses as they ride to the final finish line. Now, in a historical fashion, Black here would represent regal Judah, which is kingship, the kingdom, kingdom of Judah in Negro land, and dispersion through a misbalancing of scale because there was a great misbalancing of scale with a section of humanity based upon skin color. 
The misbalancing of scale was, of course, slavery. We should all be treated equal, regardless of our skin color, but there was a great injustice and misbalancing of scale based upon monetary policy slavery, and of course, there was this dreadful, dreadful history of humanity where Yah's children were then enslaved and brought into the north country, the colonies, if you will. So in a historical sense, the black horse should represent regal house of Judah, kingship. But there was a misbalancing of scales. So it really doesn't. This horse, in reality, represents the Ashkenazi Japhethites because they have performed the greatest of identity thefts. So the black horse, prophetically, going forward now into Revelation 6, represents money and central banking. The nations have all become slaves of the black horse the Ashkenazi banking and balancing system of global monetary policy that has ridden forth into the North Country. So you've got to spend time to unpack this because you've got a great identity theft in the middle of it. The Black Horse seeks to bring the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, to full power for worldwide control. The monetary supply is now at crisis point, which I believe is going to trigger in a global monetary policy as it rides forth northward right now. You have to understand that the black horse actually controls the next horse we're going to look at in Zechariah, the red horse. The monetary policy affects the red horse. Right now, some of the biggest, the biggest shipping ports in Los Angeles, they're usually stacked as high as, as multi-story buildings full of cans or containers. They're empty. There's no ships there. There's no trucks there. They are empty, multi-port emptiness. If you look on Twitter, live feed, all around various ports in China, hundreds of massive ships just sitting out in international waters. They're going nowhere. Because our whole system right now, we won't feel it till May or June, possibly April, but there is going to be massive consequence of this backup of import-export. And it's global. It's global. Because the black horse controls the red horse. This is designed because we've got to bring, if you're the occult, not us, but they, order out of this absolute humanity in crisis. It's a Shemite, Japhethai, and Hamite origin we're going to see that's the problem. This is where the horses come from. So I hope you are tracking with me. I'm certainly tracking with myself, but I <laughs> have got antennae. 
Let's look at the red horse. The red horse, let's take a sip from our sponsor. Right, you guys keep it up in the chat. Now remember, if you are in the chat, you absolutely have to subscribe to our channel. There's no excuse anymore. You have to subscribe to the channel, please. It really does help us. We are uploading like absolute crazy people to BitChute because um, we don't know how long we'll be on the air. Give us some thumbs up. We love the thumbs up and keep those comments coming. Let's look at the red horse. I didn't even have a drink. As long as I can still get this, we'll be fine. They better not be like not importing this from south of the border. Let's look at the red horse, okay? So I think the red horse here, representative of the ruddy man, the ruddy man attached to his carnality, the man of the earth, humanism, secular humanism, the fallen man. This is Esau, this is Edom, this is red. But also we have to see Esau's spread and migration does definitely connect to papal Rome. How does it connect to papal Rome? Well, if this is the ruddy earthly man, humanism is connected to lawlessness. It's connected to syncretism. Papal Rome is the seat of lawlessness and syncretism. They are experts at it. And just like Esau stood between the North Country and the South Country, he plays both sides. Papal Rome is playing all the horses against one another. Papal Rome, ultimately, lawlessness and syncretism. Syncretism is what applies to Rome because this is how papal Rome attempts to pull the reins of all the horses, playing them all towards their end-time goal and specific purpose. Green is Ishmael, the Mohammedan. And of course, green is going to bring forth death by the sword and hunger. Wherever Islam goes, you tend to see death by the sword and hunger and when the black horse that controls the red horse, there's monetary crisis, which then brings in disease, famine, pestilence, and a destabilization, the most base of humanity, the green horse, is the most violent of humanity, then is unleashed into its final furlong to wreak havoc and take advantage of a destabilized humanity. You see it in Europe with the migration eastward, or excuse me, westward from the east. You're seeing it specifically in, I used to when I was a young boy, go on holiday to the Greek islands. I wouldn't want to go to the Greek islands now. It's full of Mohammedans wreaking havoc on the community because you have humanity in a crisis. Destabilization is, of course, the final thrust for the green horse. But we have the white horse. The white horse, the lamb, Joseph, Genesis 49, the promised one and the promised people. That's a comfort. Now, one of the sisters online suggested to me, and I like it, that the bow in Revelation chapter 6, verse 6, 
could also be a cloth or a fabric which she tied into Isaiah chapter 11, verse 11. I like it. I want to read it to you. Okay, so let's look at this connection here, another connection. I love it when the iron sharpens iron and the saints work together in their studies. Isaiah 11, verse 11. Now this sister, again, like I said, she suggested that the bow could be a cloth, a fabric, or a banner. So let's look at Isaiah 11, 11, and I'll build into this. And it shall be in that day that Yahweh sets his hand again a second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left from Ashur and from Mitzrayim, Egypt, from Pathros and from Cush, from Eliam and from Shinar, from Hamath and from the islands of the sea. And he shall raise a bow, a banner for the nations and gather the outcasts of Israel and assemble the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. And the envy of Ephraim shall turn aside and depart, and the adversaries of Judah be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not trouble Ephraim. Now, when I first went into the Messianic movement back in the early 2000s, the envy of Ephraim of Judah was absolutely astonishing to me. So much so that you'd go to a big feast site and everybody would all be dressed up Jewish and then the feast would end and then you'd see them all at Walmart looking totally secular with their high-cut jean shorts and their everything hanging out and you're like, well, hang on a minute, what was this? Was this like dress up? And it was like everyone was trying to be Jews because Ephraim in the Messianic movement, is still stuck on this great envy of Judah. And Judah, of course, doesn't recognize Ephraim. Isaiah the prophet recognizes this. And when I came into the understanding of the Malkitzedic priesthood, I was free of all of that. I'm like, no, we are of Malkitzedic, Yahusha. There is neither Jew or Gentile slave or free, but we are all one in him, and that envy is gone because you stand in who you really are, and there is liberation to the Malkitzedic anointing. So look at verse 14. But they shall fly down upon the shoulder of the Philistines towards the west. Together they plunder the people of the east, their hands stretching forth on Edom and Moab, and the children of Ammon shall be subject to them. And Yahuwah shall put under the ban the tongue of the sea of Egypt, and he shall wave his hand over the river with the might of his ruach, his spirit, and shall strike it in the seven streams, and shall cause men to tread it in sandals. And there shall be a highway for the remnant of his people, those that left assure as it was for Israel in the day when he came up from the land of Mitzrayim. You see, this ties in with Zechariah, Revelation 6, and of course Genesis 10, because this is the migration of the tribes, humanity in exile and crisis, and then being gathered together by Messiah ben Joseph with the invitation of the first seal. Most will reject it, because 
they are awaiting something else. And it's not the lamb. It's not the lamb. Red, ruddy Esau. Of course, hot with anger. And red, of course, is typified by that. And where does Esau dwell? Esau dwells in Mount Seir. And Mount Seir was that halfway point between the northern edge of the wilderness of Paran, which was Ishmael and Islam, and Israel to the north. So where does Esau dwell? Where does Esau dwell? In the midst, at the halfway point, playing them against one another. That's typified with Edom or Papal Rome playing them against one another, the horses pulling all the reins with true lawlessness and syncretism. And you see that with Papal Rome today. Papal Rome today, which of course is represented by Papal Rome, the eastern leg who dwells between the Ottoman Empire and the Joseph tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim, which of course is the United Kingdom and the USA. Constantinople, back in ancient times, of course, the seat of the eastern leg of the Roman Empire dwelt in the midst of the two. And it was playing Islam and Ephraim and Manasseh, the United Kingdom and the USA, playing it all off against one another. Okay? This, of course, is a ruddy, carnal trait that we see. Rome has always been that buffer to the western spread of the green horse, hasn't it? Rome has always been that buffer. Many of the wars that have been fought have been because Rome, or what is representative of Rome, sitting in the midst of it all, has been that buffer of the westward spread of the green horse. But now, as we're coming into the final furlong, if you watch horse racing, those horses all tend to what? Pack together, they all tend to collide as they're coming round trying to get that final furlong. And that's why we're seeing it. What was separated out over the course of history, the racetrack, if you will, is now being compacted and pressed together as a shuffling of the horses coming into the final furlong. And I believe that's what we're seeing played out in our world today. And it's thrilling, which is why my antennae are just absolutely electrified today. So I'm excited to live in this world. I was really excited. And I, I am, we must pray for our sister on, of course, the Grand Princess cruise ship. But I couldn't believe that we had actually deployed a Malkitzedic priest into the very midst of the COVID-19 um, quarantine center. And of course, she um, deployed um, very, very stealthily aboard that ship and is now in great communication with us. No, she really didn't, not stealthily, it, but she's there. And um, I mean, I like to imagine that she, she did do it stealthily. You're all looking at me in bewilderment.
But I've got all the emails, and I was, I was enjoying my coffee this morning as they were coming in. I was like, no way! You're really on board the Grand Princess, or whatever the heck it's called. I couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. My goodness. That's all we need is me on the other. She'll she be on the, on, the, on the western flank. I'll be on the eastern flank, and we'll compare notes, right? Maybe we could do a live stream. Who knows? Who knows? Let's continue on here into the final furlong of my teaching. What are you looking at? All right, so what we see is Esau, of course, holds the bonds of blood, the bonds of blood. Humanism, democracy, socialism. Of course, you've got that ruddy, carnal blood which is attached to the earth. And with that secular humanism, it's, it's what, what is it? It's majority rule. It's re- majority rule. It's that secular world view. Just, I mean, think about it. Everybody's doing right in their own eyes. That, that's what was happening back in the days, right? Right after they came out of Egypt and there was an implosion of faith, then there was the time of the judges. Majority rules, whatever you want. You know, that's what we do. Whatever's right in our own eyes. And, you know, I, I'm, I, I don't think we should be doing that. Now, I might get criticized for this, but I don't vote. Because aren't we just doing what's right in our own eyes? I kind of think so. That's not our system. We're not of that. We're supposed to be coming out of that system. So, anyway, if you do vote, they'll call you for jury duty, and then you might think twice about it. So, anyway, I'm all trying to come out of that system, and I think that oftentimes we just get caught up in it because that's the secular world. These are carnal people. I mean, look at these politicians, these clowns. They are Edomite in origin. They are at their base level, base level bickering, bickering and fighting clowns. It really is, and it's it's embarrassing. And that's what we're going to vote for, not me, because that's every man doing what is right, casting his ballot for what is right in his own eyes. Whereas I'm looking for something far greater, far greater. I'm looking for scriptural rule rather than man's rule. So most democratic governments actually have red in their flag, don't they? the ruddiness, the humanness, attachment to the carnal nature of man. Of course, they despise the birthright, they despise the gifts of Yahuwah, and that's what you see. When you see this black now, this black, you're going to see, really, it's typified by Janus face Judah. Everything has a price. Remember, this is not the true Judahite, this is those that have stole the identity. Everything has a price. With the black horse, you've got scales, balances, and a monetary system. This is the synagogue of Satan. Of course, in prophecy, the black horse controlling the red. Zechariah chapter 6, verse 6 informs us the black horse rode into the north country, meaning the seat of the northern hemisphere, if you will, which, of course, is the Caucasus or Russian steppes. This is the Japhethite region of the Caucasians. 
the Turkic Mongols, or the fraudulent black horse, the fraudulent Judahite. Whereas we see with the green horse, we have Ishmael, we've got death, we've got Hades, and a quarter of the earth being now moving into that Islamic. It's very interesting if you look at the color of the flags of a lot of these Islamic Mohammedan nations, their flags all have the exact colors of all four apocalyptic equestrians. Because they understand, of course, the very, very final furlong collapse which is going to happen. The Syrian flag, white, red, green, and black. The Palestinian flag, the same. The Jordanian flag, the same. The Kuwaiti flag, the same. All four colors of the apocalyptic equestrians in their flags. Why? Because this is luciferically inspired of these final furlongs coming to light. Green is envy, isn't it? It's jealousy. And what did we see with Hagar towards Sarai? Green with envy and jealousy. What did we see with Ishmael toward Isaac? Green with envy and jealousy. And of course, in Zechariah chapter 6, verse 6, the dappled go to the south country. The south country is the wilderness of Paran, which of course is where you see of today the south country being Ishmaelite, Mecca, and Medina. Mecca was absolutely barren this week. Barren. First time. First time in modern history. Nobody circling the Kabar. I mean, you usually have thousands kissing the shrine, licking the shrine, prostrating themselves. Nothing. It was closed for sanitation because of COVID-19. Pretty crazy stuff. Pretty crazy stuff. You're seeing it all over, all over the world. So all that to ask this. Have the apocalyptic equestrians bolted out the gate early? Are we approaching the final furlong? These are things that I ruminate on. These are things that I ruminate on, especially when my wife comes back from Fred Meyer and um, shoots me a picture, and there's, there's, there's nothing, in, nothing in, the, in the store. And I've got other people shooting me pictures from Walmarts all over the nation. I mean, it's like, Wow. Has the red horse bolted out of Wuhan, China with the pile-barred ashen horse galloping toward it down hard on its heels to the final furlong? I mean, is our modern world about to meet the terrors of the shadow of death as it seats its saddle and sets the bridle? These are things that I ponder. Now bear in mind, I'm up here as a public figure speaking, and so a lot of you contact me. So, and you contact me with some crazy stuff. 
So you've got to see the letters I receive. So if I am a little dramatic, well, you be in my position and get somebody sending you an email from the quarantine ship while you're having coffee in the morning. The next time you're trying to go to bed, somebody's sending you a picture of some store in the Midwest and there's a riot. And I'm like, oh my goodness. I mean, so, you know, take it all with a pinch of salt. I enjoy it. But I do, of course, have you guys out there to stoke the flames of my conspiracies. Somewhat, somewhat enlightening to me to hear from you all. But John the Revelator, of course, I believe, is drawing from Zechariah chapter 6. And I believe, ultimately, humanity is in a crisis. And this is a Hamite, Japhethite, and Shemite conflict of the origins of humanity dividing now into their various camps of secular humanism, of the white horse, the true faithful, responding to the lamb, of the black horse, which is most conspiring of all, which involves the counterfeit of global monetary policy, identity theft, and the true Judahite, which was misbalanced and misscaled of the most depraved of nature, slavery. But ultimately, those identity thieves are the master slavers, not only of the true Judahite, but now you find humanity in monetary slavery that is affecting the whole world. Because the black horse controls the red horse, and in the wings, waiting for that final furlong, is the mayhem and apostasy of the green horse. Ishmael looking to take advantage of it all, the most base swordsman type equestrian of them all, which brings forth death and mayhem wherever he has rode over the centuries. And playing them all against one another is papal Rome that ruddy Edomite balance of the scales. These are interesting thoughts that I ponder. Zechariah chapter 6. And I turned and lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, four chariots coming out from between two mountains. And the mountains were brazen mountains. Then the first chariot was the red horses, the carnal, fallen nature of man, the liberal elite, disseminating Marxist communism through media, Hollywood propaganda, and the meltdown of the American industrial infrastructure. Playing, of course, today as we see into the hands of the red Chinese. And in the second chariot, black horses. This, of course, is that northern leader who will usher in economic instability using unequal monetary reforms, unequal weight and scales. This is going to affect your imports, your exports, and we're seeing that today. And the third chariot, white horses. This is the Lamb's invitation to the marriage supper, where the garments shield the attendees from the subsequent judgments to come. This is the indwelling with the mind and spirit of Yahweh. That like the sister who emailed me this morning from the Grand Princess. 
can be in the midst of a quarantine ship and be full of faith. Be full of faith, knowing that Yahweh's providence is with her and that she is there on a specific mission. A specific mission that she was trained for her whole life. There was one person that I would deploy on such a ship, it would be you, sister, out there. The most trustworthy of saints. In a trial. But we are all being trained for a specific, specific purpose. And finally, we see this fourth chariot. It's piebald, ash-colored horses. Of course, the Greek word here is chloros, the green horse. And of course, this final furlong, you see the Islamic sword and starvation beginning in the Asia-Pacific region with a swarm of over a billion locust man army. You see, the effects of the red and the black horse shift the scales of the most beastly elements of fallen humanity. Epitomized, of course, by the Mohammedan, those locust Sarsarian locust armies of the past will be, of course, the Mohammedan locust army of the future to devour the last remnants of life. Just as the locust does. Cares not what is in its way and will devour all as it disperses into the nations. And I answered and I said to the angel that talked with me, What are these, my master? And the angel that talked with me answered and said, These are the four Ruachim, spirits of heaven. They are going forth to stand before Yahweh of all the earth. And of four, the chariot, which were the black horses, they went out of the land to the north, and the white went out after them. And the pileboard went out to the land of the south, and the ash-colored went out. And looked to go and compass the earth. And he said, go and compass the earth. And they compassed the earth. And he cried out and spoke to me, saying, behold, these go out to the land of the north, and they have quieted mine anger in the land of the north. And I saw and see a white horse. Revelation chapter 6, verse 2. And he who sat on him had a bow and a crown. And this is where we see the Lamb. And look at the second seal of Revelation chapter 6, verse 3. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second creature say, Go and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat on it to take shalom from the earth, peace from the earth, and they shall kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. You see, for those that reject the first seal, the lamb and his invitation to the marriage supper of the lamb, Revelation 19 and Matthew chapter 22, they face the second seal naked and ashamed. And Daniel the prophet, he prophesied this in Daniel chapter 8 verse 23 and in the latter time of their kingdom when the transgressions are come to the full I mean really can they get any fuller 
Can they get any fuller? And a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up, and his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power, and he shall destroy with hidden miracles and shall break out and execute, and he shall destroy both feeble and strong and the saints. I believe with this second seal there is much to learn because this is stubborn. The red horse is all about strife or variance of every kind of sort. The Greek word John uses for red here is paros or pyros, meaning the color of fire, where we get, you know, pyromania or pyre, a pyre of fire or pyrosis. The Greek word here is paros or pyros. This is what he uses. But this isn't the normal Greek word that you would find for, for red. You see, there's another um, Greek word that comes up so many more times, and that's eruthros, eruthros. But this, this term suggests fierceness, a flickering of the flames, where you would get those bright reds, those bright oranges and yellows that you see within the flame. It's the very same word that John uses to describe the redness of the dragon. The redness of the dragon in Revelation chapter 12, verse 3. Will this usher in Revelation 12? Will this usher in the saints' flight to the wilderness? Because Isaiah tells us he's declaring the end from the beginning. And from the past things which were not done, saying, My purpose shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. You see, this principle of truth that I'm trying to show to you through thematic elements of the patriarch's ponies must also be applied to the gospel. And this is how I'm going to conclude today is to try and show you the thematic elements of the patriarch's pony with the white being the first seal represented by the lamb to the Josephite tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh, and of course, all of those born again, which is all 12 tribes. The true remnant that come in to the marriage supper of, lamb, of the lamb that then escape the subsequent, subsequent judgment. I believe that we can see this in the white seal, the first seal, the white horse in the New Testament, specifically the book of Matthew. What do I mean? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. We're going to see this thematic element or this principle of truth applied in the gospel message. And I really hope you can track with me because this was just super revelation and powerful for me when I saw this in the scripture. I believe that first seal, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the Lamb riding forth with an invite is good news. 
That is the Bessorah. That is the gospel. That's good news for us that receive it. And we come into the spiritual revelation of the place of safety. That is the first rider in Revelation chapter 6. And subsequently, after the good news comes what? Variance. Trouble. Brother against brother. Humanity in a crisis. We should see that played out in the Gospels. Because the Gospels beginning stage stages in Matthew chapter 10 are going to be mirrored, just like Isaiah said, in the end stages. And we are in the end stages, the final furlong. Matthew chapter 10, we find the 12 shlechim, the 12 apostles, peace was to come upon every house that they entered that was worthy as they proclaimed the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But then Yahushua warned them in Matthew chapter 10, verse 17, beware of men, beware of humanity. There's going to be mass divisions in humanity. There's going to be red, there's going to be green, there's going to be black, there's going to be a bunch of horses all pushing together. There is going to be divisions. But he also told us that there was going to be something good for those that first listened. He then warned them that brother should deliver up brother to death and father the child and the children would rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death in verses 17 to 21. So after, bear with me, if we can apply this thematically to the equestrians, what do we find? So after the riding forth or the first going forth of the gospel, which is represented by white, remember Yahushua said in John chapter 4 verse 35, oh, the fields are whitened and ready for the harvest. The gospel is white. It's the good news that goes out first. It rides out first. The fields are whitened and ready for the harvest. That's the good news. That's the first seal. But right after it comes what? Variance. Anger. Humanity in a crisis. Brother against brother. Children against father, mother. Humanity imploding. So if we're to equate the gospel in equestrian terms, which I believe we must, then the gospel, which was at first an offering of peace, that was the immediate effect, wasn't it? The immediate effect of the gospel was peace. But it would lead to antagonism. It would lead to variance. It would lead to a deadly strife. So likewise, in the end, the good news will go out first, which is the first seal, the white horse. And its immediate effect would be the red horse, which is antagonism, which is variance, which is deadly strife. And it follows hard on the heels of the white horse. Think not that I come to send peace on the earth. I come not to send peace, but 
a sword, Matthew chapter 10, verse 24. Now, compare these words with Revelation chapter 6, verse 4. Power was given him to take peace from the earth, and there was given him a great sword. This is a thematic element from the patriarch's ponies through to the prophet Zechariah, through to the gospel, into the revelation. This is how I study scripture. This is how I think. If you like it, give us some thumbs up. If you don't, then just... I don't know what to say at this point. We've listened to papal Rome playing it all against one another for too long. But thematically, connecting everything back to the patriarchs, I think we can see that this is true. This is true. We find in Revelation 6 for the very same thematic elements of the gospel. Just look at the similarity of the language. It's designed to reveal to us that the prophecy and the revision refer to the same thing. The same thing. Matthew chapter 10, verse 35. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, so that a man's enemies will be the members of his own horse, the, of his own house. Horse, house. The gospel message is white like the fields, white and for harvest. And it first rides out with a great offering of peace for those that will accept it and come into the master's house as the lamb rides forth the first seal. But once it has been offered right on its heels comes variance, comes death, comes aggression. The red, the black and the green horse. And now I've got you both laughing at me. What is going on? What are we doing? I'm starting to yell. Okay. Calm the heck down. Too much. It's too intense sometimes being me. Oh, good night. It is intense, isn't it? Oh, blooming heck. I dream about it all the time, even when I'm awake. Oh my goodness. Save me from myself. <laughs> You're not supposed to amen that. <laughs> Henry. Good grief. With friends like you, who needs enemies? For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, so that a man's enemies will be the members of his own household, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The patriarch's ponies. This is humanity in a crisis, at variance in deadly strife. Why? Because the horses have been stretched out, galloping around that track for thousands of years. But if we're coming to the final furlong, those horses are all starting to shuffle up next to one another. They are jockeying for position. They are bouncing a once against another to make it to the end goal. We live in amazing times. Amazing times. Times of faith. 
times of hope, times of passion, and I've got a lot of passion. I'm encouraged. There's a lot of fear out there, and there's a lot of fright. But the testimony I get from people is one of hope, one of excitement to be in the midst of it. Excitement, even in quarantine. To be excited. To feel Yahweh's power and providence. In the midst of it, there's no fear. We have a hope. Wherever we are, wherever we are, we are that light to the nations. We are that white field. And unto the harvest in John chapter 4, verse 35. We're rushing out of the gates. But in Luke chapter 12, verse 49, it says, it is written, I came to send fire on the earth. And how I want it were already kindled. Now fire is descriptive of the same thing as the word sword in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. So fire and sword are joined together. Kindled. This all supports the Lamb being the rider and bestower of the blessings of the first seal, but also the very one that shuts the door and leaves those outside to face the second seal with a weeping and a gnashing of teeth. Suppose ye that I come to give peace on earth? I tell ye nay, but rather the division of humanity. Ham, Shem, and Japheth. You see it. You see it. The horseman's great sword is a translation of Makraya Megali. And this isn't the ordinary sword of war. The, the, sword, of wo- the sword of war, excuse me, is Romphaya, Romphaya. But this is a short sword. It's like a dagger. Now, frequently... Machariah is the knife used to prepare a sacrifice or to slaughter an animal for food. It's not the sort of weapon that a soldier would go to war with. It's the sword that's worn by magistrates, the sword that's worn by executioners. See, Yahushua warned us of the great cost of following him. He warned us with his own lips what would come. And here in Revelation chapter 6, John unveils it in apocalyptic finality. As Yahushua is the true Messiah who brings peace with the first seal, it's followed swiftly by a price. If you reject it, the sword and the fire of judgment. You see, the lamb, the lamb rides out with peace and swiftly it is followed by a price. Just as the gospel. Fire and judgment. Peace fails as it's rejected by those who make light of the offer. They don't believe it. They make light of the offer to the marriage supper of the lamb and then rides forth war 
and judgment. And today we see it in the form of Marxist meltdown of Western infrastructure. We see it all around us. We see the red horse everywhere today. It's affected our very politicians who've sold us down the river to the communist Chinese. You see it in ruddy humanity that wants to go and watch the NFL and the NBA as their players are totally sold out to the red Chinese. They stand strong on China, but they won't stand for the national anthem. They won't speak a word against the Chinese because they're the ones that fund them. Yet they'll take the knee for the national anthem. You see it with Hollywood hypocrisy. The new Top Gun movie with Tom Cruise. The old bomber jacket from the 80s. They've, repl they've replaced those flags. Remember the old bomber jacket of Tom Cruise? He was at the lockers and he had the, 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 um, the Taiwanese and the Japanese flag patches on the back of his bomber jacket. In the new Tom Cruise movie, Top Gun, no, they've replaced it. Why? To appease the Chinese. Because it's a Chinese fund Hollywood. You've got all these woke actors that are immoral lecturing us about the real world. They have no idea what the real world is like. And they're all sold out to the communist Chinese. Hollywood is owned by the Chinese. You've got these tool sheds like Colin Kaepernick who won't even stand for the national uh, anthem. But they stand for the Chinese. You've got Nike and all of those that are totally got slave labor camps with watchtowers making their goods that are imported into the United States. This is all a controlled implosion. This is all a controlled demolition as the horses shuffle for the final furlong. But it gives us great insight and supernatural foresight, I believe, the revelation does, into these amazing days and times that we live in. And that's the security of the word. So I'm not fearful. I'm faithful because I have got supernatural insight into things to come. It's preparation, but it also awakens me to the true reality of our present times. Revelation chapter 6, man has struggled with it for thousands of years. But when we connect it back to humanity in a crisis, which is a Japhethite, Shemite, and Hamite origin that then moves through the patriarch's ponies into Zechariah 6, into the Gospel of Matthew, where Yahushua says the white of peace, the white and fields will ride out first. And after it, Immediately on its heels will come antagonism and variance as the clattering of those horses for that final furlong. I think it makes sense. I think it's revelation. And I think it's supernatural. Let's take some questions and comments online here. And uh, let's see. All right. Went on a bit long today, didn't I? Good grief. What a day. What a day. All right. All right, here, here we go. Ooh, let's not go back in time here to last week. 
All right, Shabbat Shalom, you guys out there in the chat. All right, we have Shabbat Shalom, Linda George. Hello, Linda. I hope Linda's coming to the Passover. Question. He is calling the Malkitzedek into a place of safety. We know it's a spiritual reality. What does it look like in the physical world of scattered Israel? Well, that's a phenomenal question. Oh, well, I think firstly and foremost, it, it really is all about your very, very local community. Making preparations spiritually first and then making preparations in the physical, natural world. I think that's important, but we're not dependent on beans and rice, but should we? Yes, we should. Should we have, you know, preparations? Ultimately, I think Yahweh is going to bring us out of the exile together. And I think the feasts and festivals and the Sabbaths are preparation times for that. So that's why I encourage people not to be fearful, because people have contacted me. Should I still come to the Passover? What about traveling? I say, come. And we'll be together wherever we are and walk in faith. Walk in faith. Greater is he who is in us than who is in the world. All right. Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. I got a question here from Brian Price. Hey, Shabbat Shalom, Brian. Question. If I am a Caucasus Asian, English believer in our Heavenly Father, Son and Spirit, who is our Creator, Savior and Messiah, does that make me a white horse Japhethite or what? No, it doesn't. Because if you are a, a Caucasus Asian, oh, I see what you're saying, Caucasus Asian. Right, that, that's a, that, I see what he's saying. Because of the, the Russian steppes, the Caucasus Asians. But you've also got to understand that Ephraim and Manasseh, the Josephite tribes, migrated through that region and were dispersed up into the Germanic regions, into those Mediterranean westward regions, and then over into the British Isles and over into the United States. So at this point, there it's, it's a spiritual thing. It's not a genetic. I mean, that's why the Apostle Paul says, you know, do not give heed to endless genealogies. It's so much bigger than that. But it is ultimately the migration of the tribes. I mean, I, I, I could be like part Viking, you know? Yeah, that would be a hat to come up from behind the podium with, wouldn't it? Like a Viking hat. I could see myself doing that. And I wouldn't mind one of those Viking ships full of great battle axes for the battles to come. But I'm not concerned. I'm sure, you know, you could look at me as an Indo-European, right? Anyway. Let's have a look at the next one. This one, Shabbat Shalom from John Shukel. Question, couldn't the red horse identify with communism? China, Russia, red. Yes, Marxism, communism. Again, it's controlled by the black horse. But yes, we definitely can see that. It's secularism. It is Edomite in origin. All right. Here's another question. Blessed be the name Yahuwah. Amen to that. Will the driving in... Will the, oh, will the diving in the people between the truth and the false truth bring destruction to the earth 
or will we be divided by those who trust in the Holy Father Yahweh and those who worship Hasatan? So I definitely believe what you see with that white horse is a division, first and foremost, of the faithful, those who follow the Lamb and are faithful to the Lamb, represented, of course, with the riding out of the first horse. That's the greatest division, is the spiritual division. And then what is left is the remnants of humanity that are fighting all amongst themselves with their war horses of the green horse, with their humanism of the red horse, and with those that are just into building barns and monetary policy, and of course the great deception of the synagogue of Satan, represented by the black horse counterfeit. So I think um, it's a great question. What else we got? Oh, here's a great question here from Brandon at Much More Truth. Shabbat Shalom, Brandon. How long do you think the tribulation actually is? Jacob had to serve Laban a total of 14 years to get Rachel. Pharaoh's dream had seven good years and seven years of famine that swallows the good thought. So I think what you're seeing uh, what I see in the scripture, and I've said it so many times, is the difference between Jacob's trouble, which was, of course, symbolized in the Torah when the tribal brothers brought forth the garment of blood and Joseph was taken down into Egypt, into Potiphar's house. That, of course, was Jacob's trouble, which was the foreshadowing of slavery and, of course, uh, excuse me, back up, Jacob's trouble, I got that wrong, apologize, Jacob's trouble was when Jacob met Esau and the division of the camps. That was Jacob's trouble. But Jacob's great tribulation was what I just said, when the garment of Joseph was showed to him and his blessed son he believed was dead. So there's a difference between Jacob's trouble, which was the division of the camps, and then the later great tribulation, Jacob's great tribulation. So I think we'll see that play out, and I believe that we'll see that great tribulation is 42 months, but combined you see this seven-year period that's spoken of in the prophecies of Daniel. And I think that's the difference, the rub between Jacob's trouble and the great 42-month, three-and-a-half-year Great Tribulation. Um, but again, you know, this is eschatology, and we do see through a glass dimly, so I'm always a little bit wary of somebody who's got it all charted out and it's all perfectly lined up. Um, I think this is a vision. I think this is an apocalypse. And like I say, the best approach to me is to look at this as an orchestral vision. And then I think you get a lot more meaning from it. I do, anyway. Let's see what else we've got here. Um, okay.
This question, Shabbat Shalom, Yvette Hood. Matthew, can you answer this? Joseph's children were mixed, half Egyptian. How, how do you explain that they are English and Americans who are white? Well, firstly, I don't think it's a, it's a skin color issue here. I think that ultimately, if we're all children of Adam and Eve, that race is um, skin color and racism is a social construct. But when we start to identify as Joseph's multicolored garment, we see that this is inclusive of all humanity of faith and exclusive of humanity not of faith, okay? Now, yes, Ephraim and Manasseh were, of course, part of um, syncretized because Joseph's wife was the daughter of the priest in Egypt. So what that represents to me as we see the migration of the tribes, and like I say, Stephen Collins has done a very detailed work on the migration of the tribes, is Ephraim and Manasseh is that migration up into northern Europe and eventually over into the Americas, being Ephraim and Manasseh there. But do they have that mix, that syncretism, if you will, between paganism and the word of Yahweh, the Torah? Yes, and you see that with, of course, Christianity in its history of syncretism. It's kind of a combination of the, um, the pagan rites of um, Joseph's wife and his family and the Torah truth of Joseph's family from his father's side. And you see that with, of course, that syncretism epitomized by Christianity. So that would be my, my, my take on that. Let's see what else we've got. This is a good one. I'm going to have a little pause before I read this one. This one is from My Potato Munchkin. And My Potato Munchkin has got a very, very deep question for us this Shabbat. Who is the horse of a different color spoken of by Gene Wilder in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? I have no idea. It's been so long since I've watched Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. But now I'm going to have to watch it. Aren't I? Crying out loud. I like that one, though. Adam Davis. What is the difference in the... Oh, here we go. In the pronunciation of Yeshua and Yahusha. Well, there's different pronunciations. I mean, when I first started studying the name, I, I, I really have got to give a lot of credit to Lou White. I really do, because I, I, read, I read that fossilized customs in like a weekend. And I was just walking around with my head just spinning like, ah, oh, everything's pagan. Oh, my goodness, a tie's pagan. Oh, my zipper's pagan. Oh, I mean, everything. I mean, I was just like... And I, 
originally um, pronounced um, the Messiah's name Jesus, of course, like most of us. And then I was Yahushua, Yahushua. Then I pronounced it Yahushua for many years. And then it was Yeshua or Yeshua, depending, you know, I think in Israel we pronounced it Yeshua, right? Yeshua. And it was Yeshua in the Messianic movement. And then, and we've got a teaching out on it, is on the name. I just really started to, to see the breakdown in the Hebrew a lot better and the difference between the Vav and it actually being a Wa. And so it's more guttural than the way that I pronounce it. Um, so I came to believe it was Yahusha. But for me, it's, it's not like, oh my goodness, that person pronounced it this way and you pronounce it that way. I mean, I, I don't think it's something we, sh we should have division over. And um, it, it's, we're all in a growth period. Like I said, I've changed so many times as I as developed in my faith. I mean, it used to be the Lord and God, and then it was Yahweh, and then it was Yahuwah. No, then it was, how, what did I used to say back in the... Yahweh, Yahweh, I, I pronounced that for many years. And then, and then now I pronounce it Yahuwah. You know, and some people put an emphasis on Yahuwah. Uh, again, so I, I think that we're in, we're in discovery phase, aren't we? And that, that, that's exciting. That's exciting to me. So let's see what else we got here. Oh, I'm going to have to get some. Glasses, what's going on with this? That's ah, because they're sending it into me blurred. That's why. Good grief. This is a great question. I can't answer it on YouTube, though. Um, but this would be something that maybe we could have a chat with at, at some point if I ever get to meet you in person. Sophia Nebruin, question. Please explain what Jesus meant when he said the kingdom is all around us and within us, that we can be in the world. Yes, that's, um, that's a good question, and I'd love to answer it right now. But... We are on a Google platform, and we do not want to stoke the fires of being banned if we don't have to, especially in question time. So I'll avoid that one. Okay, this question is from Ubik 8. Shabbat Shalom, Ubik 8. Peace question. The book of Daniel tells us the Antichrist comes in peacefully. How will we know the difference with the white horse? Well, again, like I think in Zechariah, these four equestrians, this is a spiritual thing. So if you can receive the spiritual revelation that's being taught here, that the marriage supper of the Lamb is being invite, an invitation going out to the Malchizedek priesthood in preparation for Jacob's trouble in the great tribulation. I think that we have the spirit of Yahuwah in us. Greater is he who is in us than who is in the world. 
that we will we have we already how do you know his people you identify his people by the spirit that is in them and by the works that they do and a good tree does not bear forth bad fruit and the counterfeit will eventually bear forth its fruit you just have to wait it out so again balance patience wisdom prayer fasting and walking in honor is key for us as disciples in these end times. And I think that is all we have got for you today. Remember, give us some thumbs up on the video, subscribe to the channel, and April 2nd to April 5th, we do have the Passover. Don't be afraid, flock together. There's no better time to flock together now in these days and times, and ultimately, it's a time of faith. It's a time of great hope. And it's a time where we should really realize that we are a blessed generation that can speak to the people that are lost. All of those other tribal traits of humanity that are despondent, that are lost, now is the time to shine that great light of the good news, the gospel of Messiah. Thank you.